0: All right, welcome to this edition of Forecast Direct. I am Lila Bengali, one of the economists at the UCLA Anderson Forecast. And this month, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Professor Fiona Berlick, who is Assistant Professor at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago, Professor Louis Prionas, Assistant Professor of Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Maryland, and Professor Matt Warman, assistant professor at the Department of Resource Economics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Our topic for today is the economics of groundwater use in California agriculture, how the cost of using groundwater affects its use, and why this is important for the California economy and for California water policy. So let's start with some general background Uh, at least as a residential user of water groundwater is not something that i think about a lot um, just because i don't know all the details about it so let's start with some context and maybe you can tell us when we talk about groundwater or groundwater use what does that mean and why is groundwater important for agriculture in california
1: yeah so um i'm like you as a sort of normal residential user of water i don't really think about where my water comes from i just turn the tap on and you know, go about my day. Um, So when we're thinking about where our water typically comes from in California, it's gonna come from two main sources. So one is uh, surface water that comes from, you know, when it snows in the Sierras and eventually melts, then that kind of comes down throughout the rest of the state. Um, And then the other source is that the state Sits on a large, you can think about it as a big bathtub of, uh, of water underneath. So there's a big groundwater aquifer that sits basically right under the Central Valley. Um, and you can drill a well, just like you might drill an oil well to extract that water. Uh, and so that's a sort of second source. So. Um, Farmers are heavily reliant in California on both of these sources of water. Right, we grow basically everything that's delicious that we eat in this country comes from California. Um, in order to support that agriculture, uh, it doesn't rain enough in the state in order to kind of fully support all those those farms. Um, and so farmers need to get water from other sources. So they tap into both the surface water resources and the groundwater resources to water their crops. Um, It turns out that farmers use a lot of groundwater. So around 4 million acres in the state is irrigated using groundwater, somewhere between 40 and 60%, depending on whether it's a drought year or not of the state of the agricultural water use in California comes from these underground aquifers. And so um, understanding how farmers interact with these aquifers and what types of policies we might wanna put in place to conserve the sustainability of those aquifers um, is sort of an increasingly important policy question.
0: Got it. And I think I um, this Rui, this podcast is based on a paper I should have said that the three of you wrote recently. And I think there were some pretty amazing um, statistics in there. Something like California produces 18 percent, I think it was, of total U.S. crop value. So we're talking about a really big and really important industry here. Excellent. Um, so... Can you? Uh, so I just gave some context for how important groundwater is for the California economy and, and kind of for the U.S. overall. Um, so as I understand it, one of the big issues with groundwater is overdraft. That aquifers that you mentioned are being depleted, and this is a problem given the importance of groundwater for California agriculture, as you gave a great overview of. And to me, overdraft implies that something's not working, that markets are not getting us to the optimal level of groundwater use. So why is it that markets aren't working here? Uh,
2: So I'll take this one. Um, It is a good question. You would think that if um, there is, you know, it is known that groundwater, we should have about this much groundwater left after each season for the aquifer to recharge and be sustainable, that farmers could kind of figure it out. one of the problems has to do with this uh, fundamental feature of groundwater and it's this like many other things that we study as environmental economists uh, that it is a common pool resource. And so there are certain types of goods private goods, uh, where um, we can think about market mechanisms being more likely to work. Um, so if I make pizzas, then I can be basically enter the market of pizzas and I have my pizzas and I can compete with other firms that also make pizzas. With groundwater, it's not as simple because it is rivalrous. So what that means, kind of in econ speak, I guess, is that if I pull up groundwater, that's going to interfere with somebody else's ability to pull up the same groundwater because they also each both people sit atop the same aquifer and are kind of sucking with straws out of the same milkshake, if you will. Um, So that's one feature. And another thing that's that's an inherent part of the problem is it's not excludable. So there's no way for me, feasibly as a farmer, to say, hey, neighbor, I don't want you to pump groundwater. In fact, I would even be willing to pay you not to pump groundwater because it's difficult for me to observe how much water my neighbor takes out. And so this is really a problem um, that requires government intervention to actually allocate it, as in many such uh, markets for common pool resources. And you can think about fish you can think about forestry. You can think about other types of renewable or non renewable um, goods that we use. Um, and groundwater is really a classic example of that. And so um, it is really interesting to us, especially thinking back historically, you know, why hadn't California figured this out until recently? Um, in the state constitution, there are actually provisions on how to govern surface water rights and irrigation districts, which um, are, I think, pretty common parlance in California. Different areas like Fresno and Madeira um, and the Pajaro Valley have irrigation districts that govern the use of surface water and govern how much of that water farmers are allocated per acre. Um, Those institutions until recently have not existed in California uh, for groundwater. Uh, It's kind of been the Wild West, where if you own the land, you have the right, basically, uh, to a first order to drill downward and pull up as much water as you see fit. And so that's been changing recently. Um, In 2014, uh, government under Jerry Brown uh, passed the Sustainable Groundwater Management uh, Act, which is basically three laws that are governing uh, the, the, or putting a structure on the regulation of groundwater to make it more sustainable in California to kind of introduce the sort of regulation to mitigate these issues that cause
0: Yes, I think I remember reading a little bit about that, which is when I first started really trying to pay attention to this very important, um, but I think underappreciated subject, at least from uh, the perspective of residential water users. So we talked a little bit about um, markets and prices, And prices are generally in economics thought of as being important for getting us to the right or to the optimal amount in this case of groundwater use. So it's helpful to know how people respond to prices. And in your research, you determine how farmers use of groundwater responds to the price of using groundwater. So why is this question so hard to answer and what was or was not known prior to the research that you three just did?
3: Yeah, great question. Um, So one of the issues that I think Fiona and Lewis have both alluded to is in the setting that we're looking at in California, water is not actually priced, groundwater is not actually priced in the first place. So um, it's this open access resource that that anyone who owns some land, they essentially have the legal right to drill a well and pull up the water from the aquifer that's underneath them. So first of all, there's no real kind of explicit price here, which goes back to the the issue why why markets don't work, we don't even have a price to help allocate things. Um, And then the other issue is that if you can just drill a well and pull up as much water as you want, that's typically not metered, it's not reported to anyone. So there's just kind of a fundamental data issue here, which is we don't even generally know how much water, how much groundwater farmers are extracting. And, and there's not really an explicit price that they're paying for it either. So ultimately, if we want to know how does groundwater consumption respond to price, and we don't know either of those things, that just makes it a challenging problem to tackle. Uh, but what's really nice about our setting is in California, most uh, the, the vast majority of groundwater pumps are run by electricity. And so it turns out that if you know how much electricity these pumps are using and, you know, some characteristics of the pumps and of the basically the depth of the water that they're trying to pull up, there's just a simple physics relationship between how much electricity goes in and how much uh, water kind of comes out. And so we're able to solve that kind of fundamental problem of not observing uh, water quantities or prices by actually looking at the electricity side of things instead and then kind of translating that into water and uh this is uh something that some other papers have done also in other settings i mean i i should take just a tiny step back and say i i said that uh water is not measured or priced although there are a few areas in california where that's uh not true and so there's been some really good other work looking at these kind of small areas in california some work by uh Katrina Gesso and and Ellen Bruno and co-authors that have really kind of taken advantage of those areas where we do actually observe uh, prices and quantities to do some work, and so we've learned how um, how farmers respond in those areas. But this is really the first kind of large scale study of California agriculture, all those you know fruits and vegetables and nuts that we eat, and how those farmers are responding to uh, to changes in their Their cost of pumping groundwater.
0: Got it. So it sounds like the key issues were that this question is hard to answer because we have to know prices and quantities and prices and quantities of groundwater use are not something that you can just Google and find immediately. And I, so I I read your paper and I want to impress upon our listeners how much work that you three had to do in this project to get those prices and quantities. You have an immense section of your paper discussing um, what what I'm sure is just scratching the surface of how much time and effort and um, data collection uh, effort went into producing these estimates. Um, So you've know you all done a very good public service for all of us here in California. And I would not want our readers to not appreciate what you've done to the extent that, that they should because this is a very, large scale project. So now I wanna to get to some of your findings and you found that farmers are actually pretty responsive to the cost of extracting groundwater. And as you mentioned, you look at responsiveness to the cost of the electricity to pump the water out of the ground. So what could you tell us what what did you find and um, how your results compare to what other researchers have found before? Yes,
2: yeah, so um... As Matt alluded to, like the the thing for us that lets us actually estimate this responsiveness to changes in groundwater cost is that we observe really good data on the price of electricity that these farmers pay and then how much electricity they actually use. And this is our bread and butter as energy economists, the three of us really are, are, this is our first foray into um, groundwater or agriculture Um, we mainly think about electricity in our other projects and that's how we got started on this because we have good relationships with the electric utilities in California uh, where they share data with us and we write papers kind of exploring how their customers behave and so uh, our first you know set of results that we have are just looking at how farmers electricity use responds to changes in their electricity price so just basically estimating electricity demand response And uh, there are many different applications of electricity demand response regressions and other energy economists have done that have typically focused on residential consumers so how households respond if their price goes up on on peak energy days or something like that. Um, But not as much has been on the commercial and industrial side and other sectors of the economy and very little on agriculture. And so what we find is actually that by kind of isolating agriculture, we've found a segment of the kind of electricity portfolio that is extremely responsive to price, um, relatively speaking. So our estimates are that if there's a 10% increase in farmers pumping costs or their electricity costs for uh, using that energy to pull up groundwater, that they actually decrease their consumption by about 11%. So elasticity is greater than one. Um, and so, just to give a little context there, uh, residential households usually have an elasticity around 0.2, and, or, and that's kind of a central estimate for a lot of different uh, studies. And commercial and industrial, you know, thinking about small businesses or factories, um, those estimates tend to be around 0.4 to 0.6. Uh, so, our estimates are just much more elastic than that, which suggests that farmers are actually behaving in a way that seems pretty sophisticated in terms of their response to uh, prices, that the electricity, uh, the electricity price that is going into their groundwater production function. Uh, And then, as Matt alluded to, we can do some physics, um, which we had to learn how to do for this project, um, to convert those estimates for the responsiveness to the price of electricity into responsiveness to the cost of pumping groundwater. And so The big thing there that changes is that when you put electricity into your meter, or sorry, into your motor to pump that groundwater up, the amount of groundwater you get will change if the motor is more or less efficient at converting that electricity into work and to work to actually pull the water up. And it will also change if the water is further below the surface. And so if the water level drops by 10%, it gets 10% more expensive to the farmer to pull that water up to heart to water their almond trees, and so we find really similar responses to the uh, cost of groundwater itself, which combines both the changes in the electricity price as well in other, as well as other stuff like the changes in the depth of the water, and so that responsiveness is pretty similar where we estimate elasticities greater than one, which suggests that if farmers' costs go up for pumping groundwater, whether that comes through. An increase in the electricity price, and the electric utility saying we're going to price higher because uh, it's a hot day, or it's a hot month, or you know there's less snowpacks, or hydroelectric dams aren't going to be able to generate as much power this year. Um, so whether the cost increase comes through that mechanism through electricity, or the cost increase comes from the groundwater level dropping because everybody's pulling that water up, uh, farmers are going to be really responsive to either source of cost shock that they face. And I guess to compare that result to previous estimates, um, we are finding more responsive groundwater use um, than previous estimates or previous papers that have studied farmers extracting groundwater. And part of that might have to do with the fact that our measurement is quite good relative to previous work because we do observe um, really accurate electricity price information as that allows us to be really precise here.
0: Got it. So, how is it that farmers respond to the changes in the cost of using groundwater? You have some estimates in your paper and some um, theories that you test. Do they just water their crops less, or is it something else?
3: Yeah. So, we explore uh, four different options for how it is that farmers are reducing their groundwater uh, extraction. And the first one is exactly what you say do they just water the Do they just water less? Do they do everything else the same, but they just put a little less water on their crops? And so we can test that empirically. Uh, It turns out that most of these uh, farmers in our sample face electricity prices that vary throughout the day, just as a lot of residential consumers in California do. And so you might expect if you're going to uh, water your crops less, the first thing you'll do is wait for those really high-priced hours and make sure to turn your water off then, because that's when it's really expensive. And we just don't find that effect at all. There's no effect where farmers are going out in the middle of the day when it's a particularly expensive and, and reducing their groundwater consumption during those hours, which suggests to us that, that that's probably not the margin on which they're making an adjustment here. Uh, if they're not taking advantage of that, th- those really high-priced hours to reduce their uh, their water use. So, so we explore a few other options. Um, another one is that uh, farmers might be just... Uh, investing in groundwater pumps that are better at pumping water that just become more efficient. And if they did that, then we'd see the same amount or we we might see less electricity consumption, but get the same amount of groundwater out of it. So that's one way that farmers could be kind of uh, reducing their electricity consumption without actually changing groundwater. But we do some empirical tests there, too, and find that that doesn't appear to be the uh, uh, kind of the mechanism that farmers are using. We also look into the possibility that maybe farmers are, are using less groundwater, but using more surface water instead, or one of these other water sources, for example, and we find that's not true. So our final our final uh, option and that, that we go with is that farmers are actually changing the kind of crops that they're growing in response to these changing groundwater uh, pumping costs. And so we, uh, we we run a model where we, we try to, we, we estimate a model where we look at how farm crop choice responds to changes in groundwater pumping costs. And so we, we kind of group crops into four broad categories. We've got uh, fruit and nut perennial trees. So fruits and, 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 and almonds and walnuts. Um, we look at uh, haze and other kinds of uh, alfalfa and those kinds of crops. We look at annual crops, which are mostly uh, kind of like vegetables in this setting. Or just following or not planting anything at all. And what we find is that as groundwater pumping costs increase, farmers are more likely to grow fruit or nut perennials. So things like almonds, walnuts, uh, citrus fruits, or they're more likely to grow nothing at all. And they're less likely to either grow these kind of hay and alfalfa kinds of crops or uh, these annual crops like vegetables. So farmers are seeing in advance that their, their costs are going to be changing and they kind of re-optimize what kind of crops it would be best for them to grow uh, kind of a- as they anticipate those coming costs in the next growing season.
0: And, and the idea is that these um, types of almond trees are sort of more high value for the farmers. So if they have uh, higher cost, maybe a limited amount of water. Let's say, okay, I'm a farmer. I'd rather put that water towards something that's going to pay me more money when I sell it on the market.
3: That's right. Also, different kinds of crops just might might kind of use different kinds of irrigation technologies that are, are better or at least different at kind of delivering the water right to the crop when and where it's needed. And so changing crop types might also allow farmers to just kind of overall re-optimize how they're not, not just how much water they're using, but how it's getting to the crops and kind of their, their whole, uh, that whole kind of water agriculture production function can change. Got it.
0: So you talked about this a little bit, but I want to get back to the differences between your estimates and prior estimates of how responsive farmers are and the differences that you talked about in elasticities and technical terms. They might seem sort of small what's 0.6 or 0.2 versus 1.1 to someone who is unfamiliar with this field, but these differences they matter substantially for the policies that try to aim to promote long-term sustainability of aquifers. So I'd like to end by asking you to talk about the policy implications of your work as they're related to some of the rules, regulations, and policies that have been proposed or discussed in California.
1: Yeah, so Lewis mentioned SIGMA, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and sort of the goal of that body of legislation is to try and bring the aquifers into sustainability. So what that means is um, the aquifer is part of a natural process where when it you know, rains in the spring, um, some water comes back into the aquifer. So it's not something that gets infinitely depleted and never recharged. There is a sort of natural recharge process. The problem that's happening at the moment in California is that we're taking water out of those aquifers much more quickly than that natural recharge puts it back in. So if we don't do something, we'll end eventually end up at a point where we've completely depleted those aquifers. So what Sigma is trying to do is to s- slow down or halt that extraction, um, so that we can bring this natural system kind of back into better balance. Um, in order to do that, basically what Sigma does is imposes or uh, empowers local agencies with the ability to um, try out a whole bunch of different options for curtailing water use. That can be a local price or a tax, that can be a local quantity restriction, that can be bans on a particular type of crop being grown in the region, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of local policymakers have a large amount of flexibility to decide exactly how to achieve these sustainability targets. But the key thing is that, different parts of the aquifer, or different basins in California have different targets for how much of a reduction in extraction needs to occur. So think about certain basins, you might want to reduce extraction by 50%. So if that's the case, um, then it's going to be really important to know how farmers might respond to different policy instruments in terms of their reductions in consumption. And taking the most basic kind of economics uh, policy instrument, which is imposing a price, if you have an elasticity of 0.5 um, from an older estimate uh, versus an elasticity of one, that suggests that you know, under our bigger estimates, it's actually substantially easier um, to achieve the state sustainability goals than it would have been thought based on the, the prior estimates, right? So comparing a low elasticity to a high elasticity, If the elasticity is, in fact, high, which is what we're finding, it suggests that farmers are actually going to be quite responsive to local policies, which is actually great news from a sort of aquifer sustainability standpoint. We can get a large amount of change in farmer behavior for a relatively small change in price or in the cost of groundwater extraction. So that's kind of the optimistic part of what we're finding. The, of course, since we're economists, you have a one hand and then you have another hand. So on the other hand, um, the other implication of what we're seeing, of course, is that because farmers appear to be um, changing their water use by changing what they're growing, that also potentially has larger scale impacts on agricultural markets as a whole, right? So if farmers are really switching out of growing things like Um, you know, lettuce or strawberries or something like that, and really putting energy into almonds and oranges, that might be great for the kind of delicious fruit and nut market, um, but definitely has implications on sort of what we eat more more broadly. Um, So I would say that, you know, this is great news on the sustainability front, um, but doesn't come completely for free. There is something else that's going on in the background to enable these, these reductions to happen.
0: And that's even more prominent because California, as we talked about at the beginning, is such a large producer of many of these food crops that we eat in the US and I think across the world and in some types of crops as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I guess one thing I want to just quickly add to that is to note that, you know, while it might be a bit uncomfortable for us to think about a particular vegetable that we like becoming much more expensive in the market, in some sense, what we've been doing all along by having this groundwater be an unpriced resource um, is we're throwing a really big subsidy at the consumption of that particular product, right? And so what these types of regulations have the potential to do is actually bring us back into a world of sustainability that we sort of never lived in. So while it sounds like it's a you know kind of bad thing to potentially reallocate this cropland, from an economist perspective, it's actually probably really good because we've been doing a lot of waste um, because the water has been way too cheap relative to its actual value to society so by increasing the cost of water and having farmers slightly reallocate what they're growing that actually probably means that from a societal societal perspective we'll have a better overall mix of crops on the market that take into account kind of what the land and what the climate can sustain.
0: Excellent. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to end, and it definitely strikes me that this is a first step in the complex question of how to manage California's scarce resources. And it's really important, as you have uh, talked about with us today, to understand the effects of the policies that we might consider. So I want to thank all of you for sharing your research with, with me and with all of our listeners today. And um, you, I as I mentioned, And uh, towards the start, this conversation was based on a recent paper that the three of you wrote that's posted on the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research website, called Energy, Groundwater, and Crop Choice. So thank you all very much. And it was my pleasure to speak with you today.
2: Layla, can I add one thing? Sure. We're actually, I want to kind of preview some work that we're doing related to what Fiona's last point was about the, the sustainability of the climate going forward is, we have some work using the same data in the same setting looking at temperature. Um, We're recording this during a week when California and all the West Coast is having record heat waves. And um, another piece of this puzzle is that the climate is a moving target. And so what sustainability means now um, might change and we might wanna think about how these farmers are going to respond to very hot temperatures. And so just a little teaser for something else we're working on uh, to think about how groundwater is a, a means to adapt to a warming climate.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you. It seems like a lot of these uh, climate phenomena are very tightly linked.